This is Clinical Pearls. The CDC has updated its STI treatment guidelines at the end of July 2021. Key changes were made to the treatment recommendations for Neisseria gonorrhea, Chlamydia trachomatis, Trich vaginalis, and even pelvic inflammatory disease. Do you know the changes? Well, if not, you're going to by the end of this podcast. So we're going to cover the brand new July 2021 new updated treatment guidelines for STIs. Oh, and I encourage you to keep listening until the end because at the end of the podcast, we're going to provide new information about mycoplasma genitalum because the CDC has new insights regarding that pathogen as well. BirthTracks.com What is BirthTracks.com? It's an online platform for medical students, residents, OBGYNs, and midwives to track important information about their birth and procedure outcomes. And listen to this. If you are a student or resident, BirthTracks.com is completely free to use for an entire year. Why BirthTracks? Because it allows for accountability for improved patient outcomes. It helps identify areas in need of quality improvement, and you can use these stats to grow and promote your practice or just grow and track your training. Intrigued? I'm going to give you more information about BirthTracks.com a little bit later on in this podcast. Reported rates of STIs from syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea continue to rise across the U.S., Prevalence rates of certain STIs are highest among adolescents and young adults. The CDC, therefore, continues to recommend routine lab screening for common STIs, especially for adolescents and young adults. It suggests that providers consider opt-out screening for chlamydia and gonorrhea in adolescents and these young adult population. That's defined as less than 25 years of age. Here's what opt-out screening means. The patient is notified that testing will be performed unless the patient declines. Remember that the CDC states that for adolescents and young adult females, this screening should be done regardless of the reported sexual activity as part of the normal clinical visit. So that's a clinical pearl. Remember that the CDC recommends that for adolescents and young adult females, regardless of reported sexual activity, because of the potential adverse influence on their fertility, including infertility and ectopic pregnancy rates. Cost-effectiveness analyses do indicate that opt-out chlamydia screening among adolescents and young adults could increase screening significantly. It could eventually save costs, and it helps identify STIs among youths who may not truthfully disclose their sexual behavior. Now let's get into the specific changes, starting with chlamydia. Remember that chlamydia continues to be the most commonly reported notifiable infectious disease in the U.S., with prevalence rates highest among sexually active females aged 15 to 24. Asymptomatic infection is very common, and the CDC continues to recommend at least annual screening of all sexually active females less than 25 or more frequently based on high-risk behavior. The CDC also recommends screening all young males who have sex with males based on sexual behavior and anatomic site of exposure. Screening should be considered for sexually active young males in clinical settings serving populations with a high male chlamydial infection prevalence. Now, the new guidelines recommend DOXY 100 milligrams orally twice daily for seven days as first-line chlamydial treatment in adolescents and young adults and in the regular adult population. 
for patients with a doxy allergy or during pregnancy, then alternatives include zithromycin, 1 gram as a single dose, or levofloxacin, 500 milligrams orally, once daily for 7 days. Studies have shown that doxy is more effective than Zithromax, especially for extra genital sites. And if doxy non-adherence is a concern, then azithromycin is still an option. If azithromycin is used, post-treatment evaluation and testing should be considered, especially with rectal infections. All right, now before we leave chlamydia, a quick clinical pearl if you're ever asked. Well, how often is chlamydia asymptomatic in the female population? And according to the CDC, the answer is 75%. That means that three out of four patients with chlamydia have no symptoms. That's why screening is so important to prevent this public health issue. Don't forget to go to birthtracks.com. This is so easy to use. This is your personal data entry tool designed for providers to quickly enter birth data at 2 a.m. It only takes one to two minutes on your mobile phone or your computer. This is a way to keep all your personal OB outcomes data all on one dashboard. Vaginal birth counts, primary cesarean rates, operative vaginal births, emergency cesarean rates, postpartum hemorrhages, VBAC success rates, vaginal lacs, NICU admissions, preterm birth rates, low APGARs, and even breastfeeding stats. As an added plus, it allows you to customize your data collection so you get to decide what kind of outcomes you want to track. Get the stats that you need easily and quickly with no need to go through the process of medical record reviews or hand calculating from a birth log. BirthTracks.com actually allows you to use the platform for free for 60 days. And as we stated before, if you're a student or a resident, it's free for an entire year. So go to BirthTracks.com now and get started for free for better accountability, better tracking, and better patient care. Moving on to gonorrhea. Antibiotic resistance remains a challenge and complicates gonococcal treatment. With the emergence of azithromycin resistance and optimization of antimicrobial stewardship, dual treatment of gonorrheal infections is no longer recommended. Remember that? We used to give a cephalosporin and zithromax together for dual coverage. That's out the window. The recommended treatment for gonococcal infections of the cervix, urethra, and the rectum is ceftriaxone, 500 milligrams IM in a single dose. And for patients who are over 150 kilograms, that ceftriaxone dose is increased to 1 gram IM times 1. But if ceftriaxone is not available, then gentamicin, 240 milligrams, should be given as an IM injection along with Zithromax, but as a 2 gram oral single dose. Or cefixime can be given, and it used to be ordered at 400 milligrams, but now it's double at 800 milligrams orally in a single dose. If chlamydial co-infection cannot be excluded, then doxy 100 milligrams orally twice a day for seven days should also be added. Gonococcal pharyngeal infections are common among certain populations and can be a source of community transmission. Pharyngeal infections are more difficult to treat than genital infections. The recommended pharyngeal gonococcal treatment regimen is ceftriaxone, 500 mg IM in a single dose, for patients less than 150 and then 1 gram for those weighing over 150 kilograms. All right, here's a clinical pearl about gonorrhea. There's no reliable alternative treatment regimen recommended for pharyngeal infections. You got to stick with ceftriaxone. So any person with pharyngeal infections should return for a test of cure 7 to 14 days after treatment. 
trichomonas treatment has also been revised. The new recommended trichomonas treatment differs for females and males. So listen to this. For females, the recommended regimen is Flagyl or metronidazole, 500 milligrams twice daily for seven days. Now, this is known to reduce persistent trichomonial infections. The regimen recommended for males, however, continues to be metronidazole, 2 grams orally in a single dose. Now, alternatively, Tindamax or Tinidazole, 2 grams orally in a single dose, can be used for both females or males. As we wrap up the podcast, a quick word about PID and its recommended treatment. PID treatment should not only be effective against chlamydia and gonorrhea, but also should provide empiric broad-spectrum coverage for other likely pathogens. The new guidelines recommends the addition of flagell to all PID treatment regimens. Metronidazole or flagell provides coverage for anaerobic organisms as well as bacterial vaginosis, which is so frequently associated with PID. The recommended PID, IM, or oral regimen is ceftriaxone, 500 milligrams IM in a single dose, plus doxy, 100 BID for 14 days, plus flagell, 500 milligrams BID for 14 days. Now, here's a quick little personal commentary. I found this interesting because actually I always added flagell for PID treatment because of the high prevalence of BV and anaerobic infections. And although it was suggested by the CDC before, now it's actually a firm recommendation. Now, if ceftriaxone is not available, cefoxetin, 2 grams IM, and probenicid, 1 gram orally, in a single dose can be given, or another parenteral third-generation ceph can be given with 14 days of doxy and metronidazole. Now, we can't leave with the podcast without talking about mycoplasma. This organism has gone from obscurity to really to the front line of understanding, especially as it relates to pelvic infection. Among women, mycoplasma genitalum has been associated with cervicitis, PID, preterm delivery, spontaneous abortion, and infertility, with an approximately twofold increase in the risk of these outcomes among women infected with mycoplasma genitalum. This organism causes infections that are frequently asymptomatic, and the consequences associated with asymptomatic mycoplasma genitalum are unknown, making this even more mysterious. Mycoplasma can be detected among 10 to 30% of women with clinical cervicitis. Elevated pro-inflammatory cytokines have been demonstrated among women with mycoplasma genitalum, which return to baseline after clearance of the pathogen. Mycoplasma genitalium is identified in the cervix or endometrium of women with PID more often than in women without PID. Prevalence of mycoplasm genitalum among women with PID can range from 4% up to 22% and was reported as 60% in one study of women with post-abortal PID. Here's another clinical pearl. Mycoplasma genitalum has also been linked with a potential role in causing infertility. So not only is this a chronic cervicitis or PID issue, but it's got infertility implications and, of course, the adverse pregnancy outcomes that we've already discussed. And if that wasn't enough, as with BV, women who have mycoplasma genitalium and HIV have higher rates of HIV shedding compared to women who don't have mycoplasma. The issues surrounding mycoplasma genitalium are pretty scary, and unfortunately, sometimes diagnosing this is kind of hard. Mycoplasma genitalium is an extremely slow-growing organism, making culture just not clinically useful because culture can take up to six months. 
There's also some technical lab issues because not every lab can run a nucleic acid amplification test for this organism, although one is FDA cleared for use with urine and urethral, penile, endocervical, and vaginal swab samples, so check to see if your lab can do this. Regarding treatment, remember that mycoplasma lacks a cell wall. So antibiotics that target cell wall biosynthesis, like beta-lactams, like penicillin or cephalosporins, are ineffective against this organism. Also, because of the high rate of macrolide resistance, treatment with things like Zithromax as a single gram dose should not be used because it's just likely not to work. According to the CDC, if mycoplasma genitalum is detected by an FDA-cleared nucleic acid amplification test, then the treatment should be doxycycline 100 milligrams BID for 7 days, followed by moxifloxacin 400 milligrams once daily for 7 days. In other words, it's a total of 14 days with split between doxy and moxifloxacin. All right, also just remember doxymoxy for mycoplasma genitalium, doxycycline followed by moxifloxacin. Now, we've talked about PID already, and as we wrap this up, a quick word about PID treatments. That's why doxycycline 100 milligrams BID for 14 days should be provided as part of that treatment because it can cover mycoplasma genitalum. But specifically, if you suspect mycoplasma or it's definitely detected, then a regimen of moxifloxacin 400 milligrams once daily for 14 days has been shown effective in eradicating this organism. So, here's our last question. Well, if this organism really is prevalent with cervicitis and PID, should we just go ahead and screen every woman that has PID for this? Well, unfortunately, no data have been published to date that looks at the benefits of testing women with PID for mycoplasma genitalium. And the importance of directing treatment against this organism is actually unknown. So if you really think it's suspected and the patient's just not getting better, then consider moxifloxacin 400 once daily for 14 days. Well, we sure did cover a lot of information. We've wrapped up the July 2021 updated CDC guidelines on common STIs, including mycoplasma. And again, we'll keep you updated as the information comes hot off the press because, well, that's what we do. Thank you for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.